Good afternoon and welcome to the Unitarian Church of Montpelier. We are delighted to have you with us on this very, very happy day. This afternoon we celebrate together as we install a Reverend Joan Javier Duval as the minister of our congregation, a congregation that's now in the midst of celebrating the 150th anniversary of its founding here in Montpelier. We welcome you, church members and friends, Joan's family and friends from near and far, clergy and dignitaries from our city and state, and from the National Unitarian Universalist Association. This service of insula installation is a ceremonial confirmation that we have called Joan to be our minister and that she has accepted. It celebrates the fact that we have worked, learned, and grown with one another over the past months, and that we can wholeheartedly state that we are truly minister and congregation. With this celebration today, we take time to pause in our busy lives to recognize the significance of our relationship with each other. We acknowledge the connection that exists between minister and congregation, between congregation and community, and between community and the wider world. We are very glad you're here, and we hope you'll stay for the reception downstairs following the service. Good afternoon. Uh, it's a real honor to be uh, here and to be part of this service and welcome uh, Joan Javier Duvall to our community. Uh, my wife Jennifer often says uh, to me, and reminds me of the importance of welcoming and recognizing talented young people who come to our community. And uh, Joan and her husband Jared uh, certainly fell in that category when we met them at a community dinner. I think Scott and Amy were there uh, several months ago. And it was clear from that first meeting that we were fortunate to have this smart and engaging couple uh, decide to live and work and, and raise a family here in Montpelier. Many of you uh, know uh, Jane Sackafitz Dale, who tragically passed away uh, last week. Um, Jane was a talented and kind, energetic, and beautiful presence in our community. Joan led a service yesterday for Jane at the Vermont College of Fine Arts that was a wonderful and amazing tribute um, to Jane's life. So I know her family was surely grateful for the, the grace and the confidence, uh, Joan, that you shared and showed in creating a space for Jane and her friends, uh, for Jane's family and her friends to uh, grieve their loss of her. Uh, Joan has said uh, that she believes in the power of the Unitarian Universalist community to connect us deeply to one another. Uh, Montpelier is a community that values connections. It's a place that makes it easy for us to engage with one another in a, uh, a whole variety of ways, whether it's politically, uh, socially, uh, spiritually. And the Unitarian Church plays an important role in, in helping to create and strengthen those connections. Those make us a stronger and a more caring place. From your SPUDS program, which promotes volunteerism, to the community lunch, helps feed people in our, in our city, uh, and the many other ways that you enrich and support us. There's a side of Montpelier that is sometimes easy for us to overlook. Uh, the drug addiction, homelessness, the poverty, these are all aspects of our community that we uh, don't often see, but that are deeply embedded in our, in our city. 
Uh, the problems that our small city government are not able to address in a meaningful way. The Unitarian Church is part of an amazing spiritual community uh, that makes an enormous lives, an, an, excuse me, enormous difference in the daily lives of those who are in most need of our support. So Joan, thank you for being here, for helping us to address these challenges in our community, to help us remain connected to each other and to our broader world. And we welcome you to Montpelier. Good afternoon. My name is the Reverend Amy Pitton, and I am the minister of Bethany United Church of Christ across the street here in Montpelier and a member of the Montpelier clergy. It is on behalf of the clergy of Montpelier that I bring greetings and congratulations to you here in the Unitarian Church as you install Reverend Joan as your minister. We clergy have had the pleasure of getting to know her over the past few months, and we are so pleased to have her and her clear skills for ministry serving alongside us here in Montpelier. Now, it probably won't surprise any of you to know that Montpelier is a very interesting place to do ministry. I've been here about 14 years now, so I speak with a fair amount of experience. Perhaps you aren't aware of this, but Vermont has become one of the least religious states in the United States. In fact, according to the Pew Research Center, Vermont is 50th out of the 50 states when it comes to the importance of religion among its citizens. And that public opinion shows when it comes to church membership. I can tell you that the membership of Bethany is about a third of, it of what it was in its heyday of the 1950s. And I would guess that this is true for the other churches in Montpelier as well. Yet we who live here in Montpelier, like John Holler said, know what a wonderful community this is, one that is filled with good and caring people, people who are passionate about peace and justice, hunger and homelessness, the environment, education, and economic justice. These are all things that the churches are concerned about as well. That means that the opportunities for working together to improve life in our community, state, and world are great. And together is the operative word. Not one of the churches in Montpelier can address any of the important concerns facing our community effectively on our own. We each need each other. We really are stronger when we work together and even stronger when we can reach those outside the churches in our community and invite them to share their talents and skills with us as well. Yet too often, it is easier for each church to turn inward and focus on our own stuff, forgetting to look outward and to see what we can do together. As Joan continues her ministry here among us in Montpelier, I look forward to the churches and clergy of Montpelier committing to finding many ways to collaborate and to work together to address the issues that face us as a community. Because God is calling us to do important work. Let's do it joyfully together. Joan wonderful congregation here in Montpelier. 
It is with great joy that I extend a greeting from your colleagues, our colleagues, the Northern New England chapter of the Unitarian Universalist Ministers' Association. It's greetings, but it's also an invitation I'd like to uh, share with you, an invitation to recognize that we are there, a somewhat special group of people that are special because we know to some degree what it is that you are going through, the wonderful highs and sometimes also the more difficult moments. And I just want to extend that invitation that you come and continue to find us the way you already have by connecting with our community when we have retreats or other times where we get together and to bring all that wisdom and gifts, all the gifts that you have uh, already brought to us to continue to bring that and also to, to welcome into your own ministry the gifts and wisdom that as a collective unit we as your clergy colleagues have. Bring your vulnerability, bring all that you are. We are there with you and for you on your journey. May it be a very long journey indeed. Welcome. Words from Unitarian Universalist Minister Kiama Rockman. Now is the time to call on the memories of the ancestors who thought they could not walk another step toward freedom, and yet they did. It is that time and that place to call on the memories of ancestors who, when the darkness of their lives threatened to take away the hope and light, reached a little deeper, prayed another prayer. It is that time and that place to remember those who came through the long night to witness yet another sunrise. I'm Reverend Elizabeth Wynn, and I bring greetings today from a community of Unitarian Universalist religious professionals of color and from the wider community of Unitarian Universalists of color, diverse revolutionary Unitarian Universalist multicultural ministries. And though I speak only for myself, I bring with me the blessings of our many UU ancestors of color, those first black, Asian, indigenous, and Latino lay leaders, ministers, musicians, religious educators who are a cloud of witnesses today at this celebration. And the blessings of our own ancestors, yours, Joan, and mine, who have come through long nights to witness yet another sunrise. You, Joan, I think, were the one who asked me if I was the first the first Vietnamese UU minister. You were trying to figure out if you were the first Filipina UU minister, <laughs> since our colleague Jennifer Kwong is from the Philippines, but ethnically Chinese. And as we celebrate the shared ministry of this congregation with Joan as called minister, here is what I know. We may be the first, but we will not be the last, amen? And even if we were the first and last, it would not matter because the ministry you all are doing together, good people of Montpelier here now, is the right ministry for this time and this place. Our ancestors knew that just because you've landed in a place far from where you began does not mean we are not meant to be here. 
As a UU Vietnamese kid growing up in Tennessee and Ohio with a hard to pronounce last name, I learned a lot about making home, about creating the living traditions that are at the heart of our Unitarian Universalist faith, out of ancestry, love, new beginnings. May you all know in this shared ministry, it is that time and that place the ancestors are with us. May it be so. Hmm? Right here? Okay. As we light the chalice this afternoon, we, care, uh, we carry forward the flame of our religious ancestors, those who blazed the trail for Unitarian Universalism, and those who followed their dream of covenanting to create this congregation. The chalice flame guides our path in this liberal faith as we journey together in the name of freedom, reason, tolerance, love, compassion, justice, and interdependence. Carry the flame forward as we joy today as we joyfully embark upon this new journey of ministry together. The world stands out on either side no wider than the heart is wide. Above the world is stretched the sky, no higher than the soul is high. Spirit of life, known to us in beginnings and endings, in possibilities and promises, we give thanks for all that has led to this moment and all that is to come. We give thanks for life, Shihekianu, for sustaining us, Igiimanu, and for enabling us to reach this day, Igiimanu Lazman Aze. Be with us today as we celebrate this community and its shared commitment to be a source of love, compassion, and justice. Let us give thanks for this congregation that has been a spiritual home to so many souls for over 150 years. And for all those who have sustained this community of faith for generations past and will do so for generations to come. Let us give thanks for all those who have guided us along our path and especially those mentors and teachers who have guided and supported Reverend Joan along her path that has led her to this day. May we feel a holy presence in this gathering as we prepare to recognize the service that Reverend Joan offers to this community through her ministry, and as we honor the partnership shared between minister, congregation, and the broader world. And let us say amen together. Amen. Once more with feeling. Amen. This little stool's for you, isn't it? <laughs> I can't get close enough if I don't stand on it. So I'll just be a little taller today. I am so happy to be here. 
with all of you to honor this moment, name and treasure this moment in the life of this congregation and in the life of my friend Joan. This uh, ceremony of installation is not, of course, exactly a beginning because you've already been walking together for a number of months. But it is a chance to honor the choice that you have made, all of you as a congregation, Joan as a minister, to cast your lot together. A ministerial installation is like other ceremonies, baby namings, weddings, funerals, in that they all call us to notice a turning point, a signpost within the busy flow of our lives. They mark the beginning and the ending of segments in the road that we walk, in the single life of a person or in the collective life of a chosen community. So when we use them well, these ceremonies can also help us take stock of that road and measure where we are against where we hope to be. A little perspective like that is especially useful from time to time in the life of a religious community for those of us who do still choose to be part of a religious community. We come to our churches against a backdrop of lives that are so often already so full, full with the tasks and the rhythms of family life, work life, community life, and even for those of us whose children may be grown, who may be retired, we are bombarded by the world around us, everything demanding a little bit more of our attention. Our minds are running at top speed, and our hearts are often anxious. So if we are not careful, it's possible for our religious homes to become part of that busy flow of obligation. And if that happens, then we are in danger of forgetting why we're here. To keep a congregation running takes a lot of time and energy, after all. Your minister and those of you who have stepped into leadership use that time and energy to put together worship every week, organize classes to teach your children, gather in the evenings for probably dozens of committee meetings, and worry about your fundraising. You keep track of who is sick or otherwise in distress, show up for needs within the life of your city, and figure out how to keep this beautiful building clean and in repair. That can make for a busy minister and a busy congregation. So from time to time, it is a good idea to ask the question, why? Why are you all here? Why are we here? You know it isn't because you're looking for another way to be busy. <laughs> so why do we make this choice? So many of us to devote a significant part of our lives to the care and nurture of religious community. Though most of us would not be able to frame it quite so poetically as Adrienne Rich did in our second reading, her words capture what I think is at the heart of it. I cast my lot, 
she wrote, with those who age after age, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. It sounds really grandiose framed like that. We're here in our little churches to reconstitute the world? Most of us can't even keep track of our to-do list for one day. Really? But maybe there's truth in it. And maybe it only sounds grandiose because she's taking the eagle-eye view of the situation. What if we wind it back down a little to the more familiar realm of the world that we can actually grasp and understand? It is only there, the place where we can catch hold, that any person has ever participated in reconstituting the world. It always begins with the one little part of it in which we live, the part small enough we can kind of get our figurative arms around it. It starts actually even before that with the part of it that we can really see, not so much even with our physical eyes as with our hearts. In other words, our capacity to reconstitute the world or our capacity to act in any way toward the good has to begin with our capacity to see. And this, I believe, is what our religious communities are for in all of their different shapes and sizes, all of their differences in theology, to help us be awake. We give ourselves to them, not because we need to find another way to be busy, but because we have realized that here, at least some of the time, something calls us to attend in the way we need to attend to our lives. Some shift of perspective or ringing of the heart's bell calls us to attend. Author Barry Lopez writes, human beings are creatures in search of proportion in life, a pattern of grace. It is balance and beauty we want, not triumph. But we have an appetite for distraction, a tendency toward forgetfulness. We forget what we want to mean. Isn't that a marvelous phrase? We forget what we want to mean. We have an appetite for distraction and a tendency toward forgetfulness, but we also have an enormous hunger for meaning, and it is this hunger that is fed by our communities of faith. They help us pay attention, and in paying attention, we are called back to what we want to mean. We are called back by the language of prayer and poetry. We are called by music, sacred text, stories and insight, laden silence, shared tears. Over time, all of these things add up to a different way of seeing our world, 
and seeing differently, we find new ways to act. Sometimes that process of awakening can seem so small and fleeting. For instance, not long ago, I had to travel from Boston to New York, and I took the train there and back. That train trip takes about four hours, and it's actually quite a lovely journey. The train rolls all along the coast, through little working-class neighborhoods and farm fields, past warehouses and factories that give way to sumptuous waterside mansions. Interspersed through all of that are long stretches of woods and water nearly the whole way, bayside, seaside, tidal marsh, and ponds. It was cold that day, and as I traveled back north to Boston, in the late afternoon, the clouds got very thick and low, and rain started to fall. Behind me on the train, a young man was just finishing up a phone conversation, and as he signed off, I heard him say, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, I guess, but it's turned into a disgusting day. It's dark, it's raining, there's lots of fog, you can hardly even see. It's supposed to get even colder tomorrow. God, I hate New England. <laughs> And that was the end of the conversation. Two minutes later, someone's phone rang ahead of me in the car. I couldn't see the person. I heard a man say hello, and a minute later, I heard him say in this note of bright cheeriness, oh, I'm great. It's a beautiful evening. It's just starting to get dark. It's raining, and there's this soft fog drifting in the trees. So peaceful. What a treat. One reality, two completely different stories. But the lesson, the electric little aha that leapt out at me in its happening was the reminder that we get to choose. There are so many different channels we can tune into. When we are not paying attention, without even realizing it. We can dial into complaint or crabbiness, distraction, impatience, indifference. But if we wake up and attend, just attend to the simple miracle that we are all alive on planet Earth, we can choose to tilt ourselves in a different direction toward gratitude, patience, compassion, toward being the kind of person who looks at the rain and says, what a treat. As I said, it can seem little and fleeting, but something grows from these small awakenings, these adjustments in how we choose to tilt ourselves. Seeing the world through more attentive eyes has a way of growing on us. We start to ponder more carefully how one thing can lead to another, how one thing always does lead to another in this relentless series of cause and effect. Unitarian Universalism names these connections 
in our affirmation of the interdependent web of life. We lift it up as a counterpoint to the delusions of rampant individualism. The image of that web is easy to hold in our mind's eye. We see the web as we do a spider's web from one of those perfect orb spiders shining in a meadow in the summer. But the truth of our world's connections is more complex than that physical web. And it is not always shining or bright or easy to accept. Difficult questions lie along its sometimes very tangled strands. Questions that lead us straight out of our small, comfortable spaces and into the struggle and the suffering of the world. Theologian Gustavo Gutierrez pointed to this when he advocated for churches to wake up to their call to stand with the most oppressed. He taught that the two most important questions along the strands of that web, the two most important questions that any people of faith could ever ask themselves, actually appear in the first book of the Hebrew Scriptures in Genesis, in that early story of creation. It's the part of that ancient story in the Garden of Eden that recounts the first act of human violence when Cain murdered his brother Abel and then ran off and hid in shame and confusion. God comes looking, walking in the garden and calling. And he, said, he asks first, where are you? And then asks, where is your brother? Gutierrez says those two questions are continually falling into our lives like invisible rain. Where are you? Where is your brother? Where is your sister? In the context of our liberal faith, which has always called us to align our lives with our vision of justice, these questions carry an especially resonant power. Where are we? What comfort or ease have come our way because of the where we happened to be born, the skin or the gender we wear, the accumulations of our ancestors? And then, where is our brother, our sister? Where are our siblings, the ones caught on the raw side of equations calculated so heartlessly by power and privilege. Attending well to these two questions is not an easy or a comfortable practice. And in fact, attending to them well can make us deeply uncomfortable. But there is a secret here. When we are willing to follow the threads of these questions into ever-expanding circles of connection. The pathway includes an extraordinary liberation, all our own. We see that we are living within too small a circle, whose parameters perhaps have been drawn by habit or anxiety or plain old ignorance. And in the seeing, 
we are empowered to reach beyond those parameters, in some cases even dismantle them, and discover that the space in which we can feel at home is suddenly so much larger. Suddenly, we recognize our kin in the face of the stranger, and we are changed. The times through which we are now living are in urgent need of this embracing stance toward the world, this capacity to expand, to widen the circles of connection, the capacity to see and recognize kin across distance and culture is planted deeply within every human being. Our history on planet Earth shines with millions of examples of ways we have enacted this part of what it means to be human. A person running into a flaming building at the sound of a stranger's voice calling. A person devoting their entire lives to ending an injustice which never touched them directly at all. But our ability to see kinship is matched or exceeded by our enthusiastic embrace of the most violent forms of tribalism. We are easily frightened, and our fear drives us to extremes. Witness the rapid, virulent rise of anti-Muslim language throughout our nation's public discourse right now. Serious contenders for the presidency are advocating such things as banning all Muslim immigrants and fencing or patrolling American Muslim neighborhoods. When they propose these things, tens of thousands of people cheer. This is tribalism and it is driven by fear. And each one of us carries that impulse also within us. It is part of being human. Our world has always been an uncertain place with its share of dangers. And every one of us knows what it feels like to tremble when we feel the earth shift or turn around us but we get to choose. We get to choose between the closing in of tribalism and the opening out of connection. This is what church is for. This is what the church, the synagogue, the mosque, the sangha, the meeting house are for, to help us choose. They can guide us on the smallest, most intimate level, like the choice to set our inner ear toward the strains of grace rather than complaint on a train ride from New York to Boston. They can guide us in much more momentous choices when we step forward in brave and risky ways to publicly reject fear and choose love. This congregation exists to help its members 
remember what we want to mean, to help us enact that meaning in a world desperately in need of an alternative word, a more resonant vision, a more healing and generative act than those driven by fear and division. In our reading, Elizabeth Tarbox said, it is the holy we need, and one place we can find it is here, working and worshiping together. There is a transcendent value upon which we may set our hearts, and its divine manifestation is love. In this simple and beautiful space, we honor the turning point that is the start of your ministry with Joan Javier Duval. Together, you have chosen to set your hearts on what you know can be found, uncovered, and created here. May you, together, be attentive to what you want to mean. May you be brave in living out that meaning at a time in which you are needed more than you know. And in your attentiveness and your bravery together, may you faithfully reconstitute the world. Amen. So there's a story the ministers have heard before, but I don't think a lot of you have heard this story before. It's the Sunday service has just ended. The minister is standing at the back of the sanctuary, dutifully saying farewell to all the congregants. And a little boy comes up to the minister and says, here, I want you to have this gift, and thrusts a dollar bill into the minister's hand. And the minister says, well, that's a very, beautiful thing for you to do. What, what made you bring me this, this money? And the little boy says, well, my father says you're the poorest minister he's ever heard. <laughs> now, now that you've installed Joan, that scene is never going to play out here. But there is another kind of poor minister the man or woman dedicated to their congregation who is drowning in debt. And the debts may be piled up to pay for seminary and all the steps that were required to get them to ministry. It can come because of a health crisis, because they've reached retirement without enough savings to live on. It can be a number of things. The list goes on. You're familiar with it. To be sure, there are UU ministers, spouses with good jobs and health coverage and things like that, and this doesn't apply to them, but there are a substantial number of the several thousand living Unitarian Universalist ministers who are not so sheltered. And this has always been true, but the situation is getting worse. The average new UU minister, the average, begins their search for their first pulpit with $50,000 in education debt according to the most recent figures I've seen. The Unitarian Universalist Association established the Living Tradition Fund in 1990 to augment the resources left by a number of generous individuals 
in various modest scholarships. And that fund is supported each year by collections at General Assembly and also by collections at installations and ordinations of new ministers. We will be taking an offering today for that Living Tradition Fund. Each year, the total fund is paid out, so it starts again from zero. So each year, it's our generosity that makes the difference for people who need it desperately. Recent gifts have included tuition support for seminary students, education loan repayment grants, emergency help with utilities, grants for food and shelter, and medical bills for current and retired ministers. And there's at least one case I know of where the fund paid for hospice care so that a minister with no surviving family members would not die alone. So this installation celebrates our good fortune. An incredibly gifted and talented and dedicated young woman has taken on the challenge and taken up the opportunity to serve as the spiritual and administrative leader of this historic, vibrant congregation. It's my honor to be able to invite you to express your gratitude for this blessing by sharing generously this afternoon with some of her fellow ministers who need our financial support and compassion. The offering for the Living Tradition Fund will now be received, and we've been asked to make the checks out to the Unitarian Church of Montpelier. Uh, you can put in the memo line, Living Tradition Fund, if you want, but everything is definitely going to go to the fund. Thank you for your generosity. Would the members of the Unitarian Church of Montpelier please rise in body or spirit to join our words of installation? We gather together in the strength and solidarity of our congregation. We cherish our congregation for its historical achievements, for those who founded and nurtured it, and for those who have transformed it when our mission was called to do so. We celebrate this congregation's call to joyfully welcome all, create a sanctuary for growth and wholeness, and unite to serve others and create justice on earth. This is our religious home, one in which we entrust our spirits. We seek a minister to lead and serve us. We seek one who will journey with us, teaching and upholding our Unitarian Universalist values and traditions. We seek a minister who will share our concerns and stand with us in love through joy and sorrow. We seek one who will lead with a prophetic voice, an ear for our own soul's yearnings, and a call to share our message with the world. We are ready to install such a minister. In the Unitarian Universalist tradition, the authority and privilege of calling ministers rests solely with the congregation. After an extensive search process and a long period of discernment from this congregation and from you, Joan, we have voted to call you as our minister last May. In August, you began serving this congregation in worship and pastoral care, representing us in the community and administering this organization. Joan, we have already recognized your calling to the ministry. 
You have spent long years preparing for ministry for this time and place. With the members of All Souls Church Unitarian in Washington, D.C., Yale Divinity School, the Unitarian Society of New Haven, and the Unitarian Society of Germantown, you have grown in your calling to this point. Now, on this day, we install you as our minister to live and serve, to learn and love with us. Joan, are you ready and willing to undertake the commitments of this ministry? I sure am. <laughs> we, the members of the Unitarian Church of Montpelier, do hereby install you, Reverend Joan Javier Duval, as a 13th minister of the Unitarian Church of Montpelier. On behalf of the congregation, you will speak the truth in freedom and love, minister unto all people in their joys and their sorrows, celebrate the many blessings of life, and invite people to experience lives transformed by service and shaped by the pursuit of justice. I invite all those gathered here to rise in body or spirit and join the members of UCM in affirming this installation. We, the gathered congregation of family, friends, and colleagues, recognize and affirm you as the minister of this church. We rejoice with you on this occasion and offer you our continuing friendship and support. May your ministry be blessed in you and all those whom you serve. With profound gratitude for the many who have come before me, trusting in the strength, grace, and guidance of that power which has called me forth from among us. And with your continuing support, I joyfully take up the ministry into which you have called me. You may be seated. Thank you. Joan, we members of the Ministerial Search Committee are delighted to be here with you this morning as we celebrate, this afternoon, as we celebrate your installation as our minister. We are, myself, Sue Stuckey, Bill Payne, Leslie Parr, Emily Seifert, and here in, in spirit, if not here present, is Brooke Pearson, uh, Harris Webster, and Amy Tatko. In honor of this occasion on, on, and on behalf of all the congregation, we would like to offer you this gift. It was created by our own friend Dodd, Fran Dodd, excuse me, as a token of the joy in our hearts that we found you and you found us. We are very happy you are here. You, you may certainly open it, yes. Fran Dodd made that. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and I actually have a small gift myself for all of you. This is a basket full of 22 copies of Lifting Our Voices, which is the newest collection of readings from the Unitarian Universalist Association that was put together in recognition that from generation to generation, new words of truth and love emerge. And so this is a collection of contemporary voices from many different groups, especially marginalized groups that speak new words of truth and love that we might share together in our time of worship. So it's a starter set <laughs> of 22 uh, to get us started, and I hope that we will be able to enrich our worship life together through the use of these books. Eliana? This is the charge to Joan from all the children. Smile when you greet us and help us feel like we belong here. Play with us, laugh with us, sing with us, and share good stories with us. Watch us grow and learn about ourselves and the world. Encourage us to wear our yellow shirts and march in the July parade. Help us learn what it means to stand on the side of love. Teach us to forgive, to be fair, and how to practice our seven principles. Celebrate with us in joyful times and dry our tears when we cry. Include more animals in church. They are part of the interconnected web, too. <laughs> Show us where to look for answers to the big questions, but don't tell us what to find. Listen closely when we have something important on our hearts or minds to share with you. Losing a tooth or learning to whistle is a big deal when you're six. Have church outside at least once a year. Try not to notice when we can't sit still, when we make too much noise, or when we walk too fast on our way to the children's chapel. Keep in mind that you can't be everywhere and do everything. Other adults will help us too. Relax. <laughs> Don't forget that even with the grown-ups helping, being a minister is a big job. We can help too. Give us things to do because that's how we learn. <laughs> be glad you live in Vermont. Have a creamy walk in the woods. Get on or in the water. Watch the mountaineers. Count lightning bugs. Build castles in the sand and forts in the snow. Take time to be Liam's mom and Jared's wife. We're really grateful that they share you with us. Take time to just be you. And know no, that no matter what, you are always enough just as you are. I am Kent Mathias, and I want to ask Betsy, Gabriel, and Charles uh, to stand and come, come over here. Um, we are the little Philadelphia delegation from the Unitarian Society of Germantown, where Joan served so well for two years. And we have a gift for Joan as well. We just want to say um, we know you are an outstanding minister. And we're so pleased for you, your family, and this wonderful 
joyous congregation for this ministry you're in now. And we gave you a gift from another pretty excellent minister, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, a couple of books, they are somewhat rare and tenderly used editions of Emerson for you to remember us by and help you in your ministry. Okay. Joan, come over here so I can see. <laughs> Emerson the Beacon calls you forward and lights your path. Let us hear his words. I will be light-hearted as a bird and live with God. I find God in the bottom of my heart, and I hear continually God's voice therein. In America, in the 1830s, those were bold words coming from a theologian, and taken out of context, they could have been construed as the words of a madman. Emerson preached that everybody could listen to their souls and live out the truth found therein. He said that life itself is an ecstasy and that everything is divine. Emerson told the ministers that their job was to instill in the people a greater sense of self-reliance, which would lead to a revolution in all modes of living, including the church. To get a sense of the price he paid for his radical message, know that he became persona non grata at Harvard, the most prominent seminary in the land for 20 years. Emerson was a religious innovator. And Joan, I charge you today to be a religious innovator. The need is great. The world is changing so fast. We are in the middle of a disorienting digital revolution. People are experiencing incredibly high levels of cynicism towards leaders and institutions. And we have destabilizing unfair inequality. Religion is shrinking almost everywhere in the United States, including in our Unitarian Universalist churches. And in order for us to respond best to these conditions, we need faith-animating innovation, which will work towards a revolution in all modes of living, including the church. So Joan, I stay, start by being innovative in your own religious life, how you yourself experience the ecstasy of life. Dauntingly high numbers of parish ministers burn out and admit if they could find another career they would, but they feel stuck. It does not have to be that way. In order to stay fully alive in your ministry, you're going to have to be creative and celebrating. Do like King David who danced before the Lord with all his might. 
Be collaboratively innovative with your congregation and your family in the ways that work for you to engage with beauty for the sake of beauty. Engage with these green mountains. Enjoy those walks and sunsets and play lots of hide-and-seek with Liam. That's all going to keep your soul battery full. Second, lead the church as an entrepreneurial warrior for the spirit and justice. Ironically, in our Facebook nation, increasingly numbers of people experience disconnection. People crave meaningful community so that they too can be lighthearted as a bird and live with God. And with the rapidly changing religious landscape, we do not know for sure what congregational life will look like in the future. So in order for you to lead us forward, Joan, catch this. You're going to need to get out of the church, out of the church, and into the laboratory of the community. Be with the people, out in the coffee shops, the yoga studios, walking in the woods, and working to reduce carbon emissions. Bring people together to experiment, experiment boldly, experiment boldly with worship, spiritual growth, and justice. Fail, learn, iterate, experiment again, and fail our way forward. You will not always be popular, but stay true to the mission. And always remember, Joan, to be creatively committed to loving yourself. Remember, you are a miracle of the divine. Your body, mind, and spirit deserve tender, loving care, and it can be difficult. Some say, don't work harder, work smarter. Others believe that even this mantra has become next to impossible with the speed of our societal and cultural demands. But do not give up. Because, Joan, if you give up, your people might give up. Find a way to engage in regular spiritual practices. You know the ones that work for you. Prayer, meditation. Have you told them about your chanting and yoga yet? They know about it now. They know about it now. <laughs> Joan, we need you to take risks. And I know that with you, as a dedicated, effective religious innovator, which you are, we will all find more of our hidden wholeness and increase our leverage, bending the arc of the universe towards justice. Blessings on your ministry. I draw this afternoon on two treasured personal memories of my ministry to this congregation to create your charge. Around the middle of September, 35 years ago, like any new minister in his or her first two weeks, I was trying to make some work for myself 
before I realized that would never be necessary again. <laughs> when I opened the back door of the church, I saw that the lock was broken. I ran to Summer's hardware store and chose a new doorknob and lock. When I went to pay for it, I was told that the church had a charge account there. So I signed my name, which would prove to be a big mistake. <laughs> I went back to the church and found someone to fix the lock. Suddenly, the treasurer at the time seemed to appear out of nowhere. <laughs> Hi, Norma, I said. <laughs> I charged a lock at Somers and had it put in. You can't do that, said Norma, <laughs> politely but firmly. Why not, I asked, it was broken. Because you have to go to the executive committee first. <laughs> and then they'll see if there's enough money in the budget, and if there is, then we can pay for it, or if it's too much money, we'll have to call a congregational meeting. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way we have to do it here. We can't just be charging things on our own and making the decision to install them. But it was a broken lock. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It has to be approved. And sometimes we have to vote on it. Norma was speaking of congregational polity, which means that this congregation as a whole is the ultimate authority on every matter concerning the church. I learned that in seminary. But Norma gave me a real sense of how deeply committed this congregation was to directing their own church. From the yearly budget to the brand of coffee we enjoy at coffee hour, in meetings, members give voice to their opinions, and like a dream of many parts, ideas are distilled through discussion into hopeful solutions and then put to a vote. I've seen that sugaring off process bring people together even when they are seriously not in agreement with one another. Such self-direction, it has been said, is part of our religious DNA and the core of our identity as Unitarian Universalists. It was passed down to us from the Puritans, who in reaction to the English church, gathered a completely lay-led church in the middle of the 17th century. I charge the members of this congregation to honor this extraordinary gift by participating in the self-governing process whenever you have the opportunity to vote on matters concerning the life and well-being of your church. I charge you to take active pride in congregational polity. Be part of the sugaring off process at annual meetings. Be present when a vote is required in committees to offer wisdom and opinion, to give your best guess about how to live this religious experience, experiment we call our spiritual home. And remember, 
to never, never change the locks <laughs> without permission. And here's my second memory about something else you do well. One Christmas Eve many years ago, after the service had ended and the people had gone home, and the choir were gathering their coats, I walked down this aisle to turn down the heat. I heard something behind me and turned around. Two or three members of the choir, led by Dave and Darlene Grundy, were coming toward me with a look of concern on their faces. Down the red carpet they came, like white blood cells in an artery. <laughs> and stood close around me as Darlene asked quietly, do you have family with you tonight? Do you have a place to go for dinner tomorrow? I was so touched that the only private thought I could put together was, wow, this church is an immune system. <laughs> I assured everyone that I was going back to Boston with a friend that night, and they smiled and wished me a Merry Christmas. I watched them turn and walk back down the aisle, going home to their Christmases after making sure I would have one of my own. It was a gesture, I believe, made not out of love, but out of compassion. Love with its tincture of self-interest can often be a piece of work. But compassion is an attitude of the heart. It is the wish, as Buddhists believe, for all sentient beings to be free of suffering. And its active expression is kindness. I charge the members of this congregation not to change too much, but to cultivate your innate sense of compassion in this amazing immune system we call our congregation. You are kind people by nature. Become even kinder. You are a gracious people. Dig deeper to find more grace. Do this for yourself and the other members of your church who need you and the members of the larger community out of which this church is drawn. I charge you to do this for your new minister as well. She needs your compassion more than she needs your love. I charge you to fill her mind and heart with stories of your kindness to her and to one another. May you prove to be inspirations for Joan on her own spiritual journey. May her ministry be the reflection of your desire to relieve suffering in this world. May you remain independent, but ever open to her words. May you remember always how blessed we are today to have her as our minister. She is someone who can match this congregation. Grace for grace. Amen to that.
I have to admit that I'm mostly at a loss for words, and I'm just filled with gratitude for all of you and for this calling. So I'll stick with what I had prepared. May we go from here with joy in our hearts and gladness in our step. May we go from here finding strength in one another and in the knowledge that a greater love surrounds us all. And may we dedicate our hearts and our minds and our hands and our feet to making that love real in the world through our prophetic and courageous acts of justice. So may it be. Amen.